I heard that song when I was like at that prime age to be super influenced by pop punk and emo music and that whole scene. And that's what kickstarted my, you know, obsession, I guess, if you will, at that age for this kind of music. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back to the Jesse Lee Show with your host, Jesse Lee. That's me. Today, we're going to take a look at Taking Back Sunday's song, Cute Without the E Cut from the team because this month march 2022 marks the 20 year anniversary of that song and record to all your friends technically the song was released i think late february to announce the new record in march but i don't want to split hairs here it's a great fucking song it's coming up on the 20 year anniversary regardless if it was a couple days ago or not so i think we should talk about it want to talk about the song a little bit get a little insight on the track and then play the video for the song because i haven't watched this video in a long time i gotta be honest i've listened to this song a ton and ton over the years but i uh it's been a really long time since i've just ever thrown the video on just watched it all the way through so i thought it'd be fun for us to put it on check it out critique it you know with the uh, 20 year later revisionist history type eyes i guess whatever you want to call it so i got this article here from louder.com and it was actually written by taking back sunday vocalist frontman adam lazar so we're getting the story straight from the uh, horse's mouth, if you will. We were at my dad's house. We played a show in North Carolina, and I have this classical guitar that I've had since I was a kid. Mark, the drummer, was sitting on the floor going over these chords, and I think John heard it and said, we should make that into a song, the opening riff. When we came home from that, we went to practice, and we started to work on it, and that's how it all started. The lyrics came from a relationship that I had just gotten out of at the time. There was a diner near where we used to live, and we'd trade notebooks amongst the band. We'd highlight the stuff that really stuck out to us, which is similar to how we do it now. Again, this article was written, I think, in 2018, but I'm sure it's probably the same process, right? I was 18 at the time, and every relationship felt like it was a be-all, end-all at that age. Yeah, I, I was just talking to somebody about this recently. It's crazy how, like, when you're a little younger, you know, before marriage and kids, like, those relationships are just, like, soul crushing when they end soul crushing when they end now if i'm talking to somebody who's a little bit younger and they're having trouble with their boyfriend or girlfriend i'm like okay just break out with them like what's the issue <laughs> just don't be with them then but like i get it for me it's like i, I don't know man like just just move on like you don't you're, you don't, you're not married right you don't <laughs> you don't have to go to court to break up with them like you don't have, you don't have custody to deal with just, just stop at the time you've only seen so much of the world so your view is pretty narrow and i think the song is a good reflection of that it's funny playing it live now with the newer songs because it still has a place there. Some of the coolest things about music and art in general is that you can see it and hear it at a certain age and it means one thing to you, but as time goes on, you get a little older, you're seeing it through a different lens or you're hearing it through different ears, it takes on this whole new meaning. That's something that is this song has done for us, or for me at least. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I heard that song when I was like at that prime age to be super influenced by pop punk and emo music and that whole scene and that's what kickstarted my you know obsession i guess if you will at that age for this kind of music i remember i heard this song the first time around the time i was dating a girl in high school who uh who cheated on me and this song resonated with me so hard i remember listening to this song on the way to catch her in the act or attempt to catch her i didn't catch her it's getting pretty steamy around here it's crazy like i listened to that song like i said back then and it meant so much to me in that moment of that that feeling and that experience i was having and now like i don't even give a fuck about that person anymore obviously and like i, I i'm happily married and like that that's that's a long gone relationship and when i hear this song i don't think about that anymore i've attached it to new memories i actually attach this song to memories of going to 
see Taking Back Sunday with my wife and dancing around and singing these songs together. It's really funny how this this song has been with me over these last 20 years and I've like kind of morphed it into my own, you know, given my own meaning as, as I'm sure a lot of you have as well. Looking back on Tell All Your Friends, it really stands out. At the time, every song we had was our very best song as far as we were concerned, and that's the way it is now. There's never been a time where we've sat down and listened to the final master and thought, these are good, but these aren't that good. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a weird thing to, like, to listen to your record and be like, eh, yeah, that's good, but I don't know, I guess we'll put it out. Uh, I remember driving around listening to the masters of Tidal Wave, and it was the same feeling like when we were driving around listening to Tell All Your Friends. So I think this was around, this article was around the time the Tidal Wave record came out. It's probably, probably why he referenced that. Tidal Wave is a great record. I don't know if it lives up to Tell All Your Friends, but I mean it is, it is a pretty solid album. We got done recording and went straight on the road so when we got to final mixes and they had sh they had changed some things and they were uh, there were some sounds that had been manipulated and guitar tones weren't how we recorded them. Ooh. There was this one part where on the blue channel where John had come in and played this slow sad piano intro to the song and when we listened back they had sped it up and it was <laughs> sped up to the same speed as the song so it sounded like Van Halen Jump. Jump! I would, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that song. I don't remember any uh, Van Halen references or sounds on that on that song, but I haven't listened to the Blue Channel in a long time. That's not how we wanted it at all, but they were like, well, that's just the mix. But now with the last couple of records, you go through the first round of mixes and you send your notes back and you tweak it until it's right. So that's crazy. So they, they made this record, sending out, I'm sure the label has some uh, mixer master person they were working with at the time. So the label just sent it out and then they just sent them back the final product and that was it? Like that's insane. Like the band didn't have any say on the, the final mixes? That's unreal. This was on Victory Records, right? Am I wrong? Victory has had a pretty sordid past with their bands. There's been, you know, stories of like Hawthorne Heights famously uh, supposedly was uh, screwed out of a lot of money. There's two sides of every story, of course. I don't know exactly. I just know that was Hawthorne Heights' side of the story. I know there's a lot of bands that came out against Victory Records. Victory Records is not really around anymore. I think the owner, Neil, still has his own other kind of label because I know he was he had another label that he launched after Victory that had Black Veil Brides on it. And then I don't know if that dissipated or not. I mean, that's going way off the, the topic. But what's crazy is, so their label sent it out and they just really didn't have a say on the final mixes. So I guess this version of this song is not really the version that they specifically had in mind. But I mean, it, it definitely worked for, for them. So I guess the label probably knew what they were doing a little bit there. Around that time, I was a little bit obsessed with Fight Club and the author Chuck Palahniuk in general. When it came out in theaters, I convinced my girlfriend at the time to go to the movies. I told her it was a romantic comedy. Like it's a couple who are always fighting, but we get through the movie and she's mad because she wasn't into the violent stuff. When it came out on DVD, I bought the special version. It's probably the only movie where I've gone through every single special feature there is. At the time, our buddy Christian had a little production company and we went to him with the idea, basically wanting to remake Fight Club in three minutes with girls beating up guys. And that's how we did it. I thought it came out great. Man, yeah, that's wild. Like, I, I, I had not seen Fight Club before I saw that music video. Like, I, I saw Fight Club super later in life, which is weird because I know it came out around that time that I should have seen it. Like, all my friends had watched it and told me about it, but like, for whatever reason, I had never like checked it out or gave it a chance. So I saw the Fight Club themed music video for this song, 
and it was like I didn't really get the references obviously but I thought it was a cool music video and then later on I went back and watched Fight Club and I was like oh that's what that video was um, all about that's what I that was referencing so I definitely tarantino this experience I, I definitely started at the wrong end I watched the music video first and then watched the actual movie I've never read the book, so I guess that's the that's the official Tarantino version of it. If I watch the music video, watch the movie, and then go read the book later. I don't know if I'll ever get around to watch, reading that book, though. I, I feel like that's not going to be in my uh, time frame anytime soon, but we'll see. During that time, we just stayed on the road. I was talking to our manager the other day, and she brought up our touring history. Looking back on it, and she was saying that we, she couldn't believe how much we used to be gone. We'd be gone for a full year with a week off here or there. It's not like we were home and we heard people talking about us, but the show started getting bigger. We would play for three people, and then a couple months later, we were playing for 300 people. So that song, single-handedly, like, was a skyrocket for these guys. When we rehearsed for a tour, now we don't play cute without the even rehearsal because it's, we've played it so many times, it's just like muscle memory. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I used to be in a band, and like we didn't play nearly as much as Taking Back Sunday did, obviously. We played like a couple times a month, a couple shows a month, and like little weekend tours here and there. And like, I remember even still, we had a couple songs that we never practiced because we played it live every you know couple every time we played live we played that song so we were playing it a couple times a month so it was like we didn't even need to practice that song we always skipped that i'm sure there's a lot of bands that probably don't practice at all dude i bet like bands like uh uh the rolling stones i just happen to be wearing out because they're on tour right now i bet they don't fucking practice they probably do practice because they have a pretty elaborate live show but i bet they really don't need to go through the song i bet every night they just probably like picking at random like all right what do you want to do tonight you want to throw this in here you want to throw that in there but it's crazy that after all this time that it seamlessly fits in with the set with all these new songs it's not like it comes up in the set and we're like oh god another song this is the worst it comes up and it fits so well with who we are now but also it takes on a life of its own right when it starts there's an energy you can feel and it's like an electricity that you can see a bolt of lightning at that time is out of our hands. But being part of it is something that I'm very fortunate to be able to do. Yeah, I read something not too long ago that says when you like have like a hit song, so many people love it and have attached themselves to it it becomes like something greater than you and it's like it yeah, it's technically it's technically your song, but like it's now the world song if that makes sense like the article explained it way better than i am right now but like so many people gravitate towards that song and like attach their own meaning to it and become so special to them that it's almost like you don't even get to have a say how it's remembered anymore because now it's it's taken on a life of its own so yeah there's a the quick little recap story behind the song itself let's go ahead and pop on the video after all that preamble and all that uh that uh that pageantry and let's see if the songs and the video still holds up a little head bob i love it <laughs> i forgot about that scene john nolan the uh guitarist here he actually looks like he would have been in the fight club movie i guess adam lazar is going for that um brad pitt look too yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He is definitely going for that Brad Pitt look because he's got the the jacket on and everything. Has anyone ever slowed it down and figured out what those words are that are flashing on the screen? It's not the lyrics, I don't think. This is not real. I caught that one. Ooh! You see uh, John Nolan's track jacket here? Let me see if I can pause it. Oh man, that is some serious early 2000s drip right there. Who did not have a track jacket for a sport that they didn't play or a school that they didn't go to. Who didn't own that back then? 
one of the best breakdowns of all time. I love this round, row, row your boat, singing the guy coming up here. Yeah. Oh, man. So cool. Woo! He's fighting himself here. Because he's crazy. <laughs> All right. Obviously, this song still holds up. I think the video still holds up, too. I think that a band could put that video out today, and it would still be a, a big hit, and I think the video would still make sense. And even, even today, people still love that movie, Fight Club, and would still reference it. I think that video dropping today in 2022, 20 years later, would still hold up. I think it would still be... A, obviously, the song would still be a, a smash. Obviously, it's a little dated, so maybe it'd be... But in like the whole grand scheme of like the new pop-punk emo scene that's happening right now, it'd be a hit in that scene. Whether it would have the mainstream appeal they had back then, probably not. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see an explosion of the emo pop-punk scene like we did in the early 2000s. I mean, here's hoping, <laughs> you know, obviously. But uh, yeah, the video's great. I love the I love what they did with the, the styling of it. Like, it's very dark, and, and I love how... Um, you know, the, the, the flash shots going back and forth and the subliminal text coming through. What's super interesting about this song that I always, like, forget until I listen to it all the way through is that that chorus, you know, will you tell all your friends, you got your gun to my head, like, that's the main hook. But it only does it twice, and then it's gone for the rest of the song. For, like, the second half of the song, that chorus is gone, and it switches to that uh, bridge, I stand erected, jealous for this, that whole, and that, that where Adam and John are going back and forth on top of their singing. And it's pretty crazy that... I, they introduce a whole brand new hook in the song halfway through and then they kind of add almost another hook at the very end when they do the, uh, the the last little part so it's really cool how this song just builds and builds and it doesn't follow this typical structure of pop punk and emo music back then whereas a lot of verse chorus verse chorus there were a lot of bands that did uh some more longer build-ups from verses and like the chorus wasn't as like prominent because it was more like artistic i feel like that kind of uh, music was more express had more expression than you know pop music does whereas it has more of a, a build-up and it's more artistic sounding for the, a lot of the big hits back then we're following the structure of verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus this song goes verse chorus verse chorus bridge bridge right so i mean that's pretty cool and it still stands up it still holds up so yeah i'm gonna say a plus it holds up i guess that's what i'm doing i guess that's why the big question i'm asking here maybe that'll be the idea behind the series does it hold up so yeah that's my opinion and that's my retro reaction to taking back sundays tell all your friends 20 years later congrats to the band they're all their success they're still out there touring they're still out there making music so make sure to go check them out at taking back sunday wherever you find social media and uh, go follow louder.com thank you for the article as well hit me up at jesse lee on tiktok instagram Spotify, I got some merch, all that jazz. It'll all be linked down in their bio. All right, that's all I got for you today. Love you so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.